Hello beautiful people, welcome to Conscious Revolution Podcast. I'm your host Shivani and this is the place where we talk about self-help, healing, personal growth and mindset. In today's episode, we are diving deep with Angela, an Ayurvedic chef, Ayurved health counselor, yoga teacher and mother of two. She hosts the Simple Ayurveda Podcast where she discusses Ayurved, motherhood and minimalism. She has a Master of Science in Education and has been practicing yoga since 2007. She uses yoga and Ayurveda to thrive despite diagnosis of ulcerative colitis, hypothyroidism and a rare autoimmune liver condition. Her goal is to share these ancient sciences in simple everyday ways so that you can be your happiest, healthiest self. In this episode, Angela has dived right into how she started her Ayurvedic journey, being a Western American woman with almost zero to no connection with the land of Ayurveda, India. It's been so much fun to have Angela talk about this ancient science, about the different archetypes, the doshas, prakriti are basically our nature determined by this ancient science. This episode is jam-packed with a whole beginner's guide to Ayurveda and all the whys and hows around incorporating it into our modern lifestyles. So if you have been watching Ayurveda from afar, it's time to dive deep in and this is your best place to do that. But before we dive deep here, I want to let you know that the doors for DLN membership are now wide freaking open. Yes, you heard me right. The doors for DLN membership are now open. And if you join in right now, you get access to all my courses for free. And your first month is absolutely on me. In this month, we are working with our connection to our bodies and this episode right here is such a beautiful addition to it but this month the workshop the theme that we are working with inside DLN membership is all about reconnecting with our bodies you get a beautiful workshop from me you get an ebook you get an audio tapping and you get a beautiful community platform where you can keep me account keep yourself accountable where you can jam with other people who are on the same path and at the end of the month we get on a beautiful coaching call together all of us so i think imagine this kind of a work having somebody guide you me such an honor and pleasure and um privilege to be here and to to do this beautiful work with you and to show you the wildest possibilities and to show you that the work doesn't have to be difficult, the work doesn't have to be draining, the work doesn't have to be complicated or even lonely as uh, so many of us in the spiritual paths experience it. And you don't have to. So I hope you feel intrigued, you feel excited. And if you do, if you feel inspired, check out the show notes. The link is right there. And your first month is free. So you can start your 30-day free trial right now. And when you join us in, you get access to also my latest program, Inner Child Healing Program, because I really feel that it is the foundation for all the healing work that we do. 
And so I am so excited to offer all of these beautiful, delicious, juicy stuff right there inside the DLM membership. So go ahead and check out the link after this podcast. And now let's move back to the podcast. Hi, Angela. I am so happy to have you on this podcast. Uh, Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. Yes, Ayurveda. It's so interesting to talk to someone from so far away. (laughs) And I am right now in the land of Ayurveda in India on this topic, someone who's practicing it. Uh, being a brand ambassador for this, how did you start your Ayurvedic journey? Well, like um, many Americans and Westerners, I was first introduced to Ayurveda at a yoga teacher training. So I think that was about 12 years ago. But to be honest, I was completely confused by it. I was intrigued, but confused. (laughs) Um, And so... Over the years, I dabbled in it. I was always curious, but didn't quite have an understanding of even exactly what it was. Um, But meanwhile, I had my own health journey that I was on um, with some different autoimmune conditions and using yoga and meditation and things like that. Um, And then I became a yoga teacher. So I started playing with Ayurveda themes, like bringing in the seasonal shifts and things like that. And through trying all different types of diet protocols and wellness systems over the years, I finally landed on Ayurveda, which I sort of view as like the mother of all of them. (laughs) Uh, And so it it was my own pain. I, with ulcerative colitis and with a rare autoimmune liver condition and hypothyroidism, because anyone that suffers from autoimmune conditions knows that once you have one, they all kind of like trickle in together. <laughs> and trying all of these different things, nothing was really managing them in a way that felt good and aligning to me. And so it was that pain that brought me to jump into formal studies of Ayurveda. Before then, I had worked with a different Ayurveda practitioner. And then she said, okay, your case is getting too complicated. I think you should see someone that's been practicing longer than me. And I realized like after seeing doctors and naturopaths and different various professionals that the answer was there, but I felt like I needed to find it myself. So that's why I started studying Ayurveda. And within the first couple of months, I just felt such drastic changes in my energy and my mental health, which wasn't even what pushed me to start learning about it. But I just felt so much more at peace and happier that I couldn't keep it to myself. So I started talking about it on social media and I started a podcast um, and just like the business was born of sharing it because I was so excited that I just had to do something with this information. Yeah, I think that's how all great things on this planet have taken birth just by this desire of sharing the message, sharing the medicine. So Ayurveda was your medicine, right? Yes. Um, First yoga and then Ayurveda was like the cherry on top that really pushed me to such deeper levels of healing. Not that I'm done healing. Of course, it's a process and a journey. But (laughs) So for everyone who probably 
um, don't know about Ayurveda enough. Uh, what is Ayurveda or Ayurveda, how it's known in the West? So what is it uh, for people who probably have never heard of it or who only know it as a new age concept or probably for Indians or for Easterns, it's an age old practice which has been forgotten. <laughs> so how will you explain Ayurveda to them? Well, it's so funny because you're interviewing me, but I know that this is so ingrained into your lifestyle. <laughs> but <laughs> I know that um, me coming into it in my 30s brings another perspective to those that haven't heard of it or aren't familiar to know that it's okay if you're just now hearing about it. You can still <laughs> love it and make it a part of your life as it feels appropriate and welcoming. But the way that I see it, is that it is a, an ancient wellness system that's based on the principles of nature and based on universal truth. So it looks at the human experience as being part of nature, that we human beings are, um, we're connected to nature, we are nature. So the more that we understand nature's rhythms and cycles and the qualities and the properties and the attributes of nature, the more we see that in ourselves and we can make decisions for ourselves, um, like food and lifestyle that connect us with these natural rhythms that are already occurring and that are most supportive for each person as the individual. Hmm. And do you think right now there is this growing trend and desire about understanding, knowing more about Ayurveda and, uh, why? Why do you think there is this deep, deep, deep uh, growing awareness about this ancient, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds year old of practice now coming online again? Why now? Oh, that's such a wonderful question. I love it. And I've never been asked that before. <laughs> um, I personally feel like there's so many reasons. One reason is because yoga has been popular. And many of us know that we might've gone to a yoga class for some other reason, like for exercise or back pain or because of anxiety. And while we're there practicing yoga, some magic happens and we feel moments of contentment. And we keep coming back to the mat because we feel that contentment and that inner peace that happens and that starts to feed into the rest of our life. And so if anyone's practiced yoga, once we hear, once I heard of Ayurveda, I was interested because automatically understanding that yoga and Ayurveda are sister sciences and yoga is so amazing that there must be something amazing about Ayurveda too, <laughs> I feel like is a huge spark in interest. Uh, but another huge, huge reason I think that it's uh, becoming popular and just there's so much more awareness around it is because collectively, a lot of us are waking up that we are holistic we've been to the doctor, we've been given the prescription pills and that hasn't worked <laughs> to heal our suffering or it works temporarily until it doesn't work anymore. Um, or we have one problem and we take a pill for it and then the next problem pops up, <laughs> the next symptom, and it's just this vicious cycle. So Ayurveda cuts through that and helps us to understand from the physical and mental standpoint of why these things are happening within us. And for me personally, 
the reason that I love it so much is because I find it so empowering that I can still go and see my doctor or still have a guide, but ultimately understanding how the body functions in relationship to nature gives me the power to make the decisions to feel healthy and well, rather than just feeling like a victim of diseases that I have nothing to do with. Like they just happened to me and here I am innocently sitting here <laughs> with all these autoimmune conditions. And now I can see the role that different lifestyle factors have played in. And not that everything's my choice. Some of those things weren't my choice. Um, they were patterns that happened in childhood, just even with the food that a lot of us were raised with uh, that created weakened immune systems. But just knowing that so that moving forward, I can make better choices. And I think that a lot of us that are coming to Ayurveda, we see what's possible. And then the, another thing I think that makes Ayurveda so um, like intriguing for us is I think a lot of us are just more and more interested in connecting with Mother Earth and connecting with nature and the divine and recognizing what ancient and indigenous cultures had all along that's been pushed aside in more recent centuries and just coming back to that way that's part of us like our human our humanness that was actually going gonna be my like next question i was about to ask you why do you think anyone should be looking at ayurveda right now uh, ethically and i think what you just said it, it really really sums it up yeah it's just there's so many beautiful things about it from understanding why different health imbalances or conditions are happening in your body, understanding that what you eat for breakfast or whether you choose to take a nap or go for a run is going to create a different kind of energy in your body. And there is no one answer that you can self-assess whether you need a nap or some movement based on understanding the foundations. And therefore you're going to be able to cultivate the energy that is most helpful for you in that moment. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I could relate so much with that medicine example which you just gave because uh, I started really, I, I got introduced to Ayurveda like four or five years back because of migraine and it's a chronic disease and it's something like which people say like you, you're supposed to live with it. But there was definitely a point where medicines were not working. And I realized a holistic approach is what is needed. And I love right, because Yeah, usually with something like migraines, I know in the West, they would just tell you to go in a dark room and, you know, take some medicine and cover your eyes and wait it out. And yes, when you're in the moment, <laughs> those things are going to help you. But then Ayurveda would have you maybe notice what you were doing all day before the migraine hit and see if there yeah. are some connections. <laughs> yeah. And your diet and what you're eating every single day. And if it is in accordance with our body type, maybe. So, uh, also, uh, you explained how Ayurveda has helped you personally, ethically. And do you think it's something which our world really needs right now, even environmentally and economically? Yes, I think that um, one of the main things that Ayurveda gives, the gift is just recognizing that each one of us is an individual person. So all of the diets that are out there, <laughs> They, are, they exist because they helped 
someone and that someone was really excited and decided to write a book or create a class or put together a protocol. But then that doesn't take into account the uniqueness of the individual. So for me, I've gone through a lot of those different diets <laughs> and experienced various uh, degrees of healing or aggravation in my body because of it. So overall, just recognizing that we are unique and that there is no one thing for everyone. But what Ayurveda does offer for everyone is a sort of slowing down and eating foods that are more natural. And so the automatic economic benefit to that is less plastic in the world because mm -hmm. natural foods tend to come with less packaging and less processing. So I know, um, for example, sometimes I've heard people say that it's too expensive to eat you know, a healthy diet, but some of the cheapest foods are dried beans or rice. <laughs> And Ayurveda teaches us how to properly prepare those, like soaking them in water and using digestive spices. And so it's actually less, ex less expensive to eat some of these foods and less packaging and less damage on the environment. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you just said like you tried all kind of diets. <laughs> and yeah. Wow. How is an what what does an a typical Ayurveda diet looks like, and how do you think it's different from all the other diets currently trending out there in the world uh, for weight loss and for all kind of keto diets and uh, all kind of fancy terms that's been used and. Uh, to a point where we've kind of like come to a point where we say diets don't work anymore. And here we're talking about Ayurveda diet. So what is the difference that you have observed? Uh, and how does uh, uh, a typical Ayurveda diet looks like? To me, I view the Ayurvedic way of eating as a middle path. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I feel like some of the other diet protocols out there are very extreme, like getting obsessive about one type of food or one, um, you know, like one, yeah, one category of food, like really. Um, Proteins, a lot of Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like kind of getting obsessed rather than just having a balanced meal. I feel like there's an American author that says something like, eat mostly plants. <laughs> so I feel like a true Ayurvedic diet can be vegetarian. It doesn't have to be vegetarian, but if it includes meat, you know, there's less meat on the plate mm -hmm. <laughs> and more other things. Uh, so it's the middle path. And for me personally, a huge factor in Ayurvedic healing is understanding that there are foods that nourish the body and foods that detox the body. And what happens a lot in Western diet culture is we're sort of fed the idea that we need to constantly be detoxing. Mm. So before Ayurveda, I was drinking kale smoothies. I was eating a lot of raw salads. Um, basically just had a very green diet that my body was not liking, you know, and we know in Ayurveda that our body's not liking something when elimination is not smooth and easy <laughs> when it's too fast or too slow. That's a huge hint, yeah. right? Yeah, there's there's many whole, other hints. <laughs> but. There's a whole smoothie salad culture out there, which I wouldn't even lie. It's becoming really, really popular in India. And even I, even I love it. Uh, there is something really 
I think whenever you see something being there in the trend, <laughs> trending, it, it just becomes, it just feels also good. And of course, I'm not denying that it doesn't make you feel like, oh, I'm having natural raw fruits and vegetables. Uh, uh, but at the same time, as you just said, that there are certain principles which Ayurved follows and it's much more deeper than just having raw fruits and vegetables, right? Right. I, I guess the thing is, there's nothing wrong with eating raw fruits and vegetables if your body digests it and if you feel well on that kind mm-hmm. of food. So that works for some people. But the challenge that I personally had was believing that that is the way to be healthy and trying to force myself to eat that. Meanwhile, that wasn't what my body was telling me. <laughs> my body was mm-hmm. aggravated because it wasn't able to process that. So when I started learning about um, nourishing foods, like eating more sweet potatoes and basmati rice and just root vegetables and things like that, my digestion was so much happier. And so now I look at a salad as a once in a while thing, or like we were talking about, you know, assessing, do you need a nap or do you need a run? Um, I can look at what is the weather outside? Are these fruits in season? Does it make sense to eat mango today or to eat a tomato? Um, What am I feeling? Am I feeling scattered or am I feeling pretty calm and balanced? How was my digestion this morning when I woke up? Is it pretty smooth and feels good? Then it can probably handle a salad. Or is it a little chaotic from what I ate yesterday? So then perhaps I'm just going to eat some soup or stew instead. So it's this self-awareness around what's happening in the body and what's happening in nature to be brought into the decisions that we make for ourselves. So if someone is really starting out, if someone wants to dive deep into uh, Ayurveda, learning about Ayurveda, what's the first thing they need to understand, they need to have an understanding about uh, in terms of their body type, maybe in terms of seasons, the lifestyle, Yeah, (laughs) I feel like what's been really helpful for me is understanding this foundational concept that like attracts like and opposites create balance. Because uh, the part that I was confused about for many years was my constitution and the doshas versus because, you know, in Ayurveda, we look at what we were born with and then what's happening now. So there's a lot to look at when you're a beginner and that can be very confusing, but it all pairs down to like attracts like and opposites create balance. So using that, we can look at the gravati gunas, those opposite qualities. So just very simply hot versus cold, static versus mobile, cloudy versus clear. And notice what's happening for ourselves moment to moment to inform our decisions. So for example, if you are running hot because it's a hot day or because you're feeling aggravated with work, then perhaps eating something spicy is going to create more heat in the body. And then the symptoms someone might experience from that would be, for example, heartburn or acid indigestion, things that are basically heat and inflammation in the body. So looking at what was happening mentally, there was aggravation. Looking at what was happening in the weather, it was really hot outside, and then piling in some hot food. And then on top of that, let's say I can speak from personal experience, going to a hot yoga class, (laughs) you're just creating more and more and more. So that like attracts like, it's like you're creating more and more fire. 
But what would be beneficial is to do something of the opposite quality. So if you're creating all that heat, to start to cool it down, you could think about what are the things that would be cooling. And off the top of my head, not from an Ayurvedic text, maybe jumping in the ocean or going and swimming in a stream, if that's possible. Or maybe it's choosing a food that's a little bit less spicy, like some bland foods for lunch or something that's cooling, like a tea that has cooling qualities to it, like a mint tea. And so this is how, without even understanding your constitution or your doshas or anything else, <laughs> you can start to practice Ayurveda right now by just looking at what's happening and what would create the opposite quality or, or create balance. Mm. Yeah, so you mean to say that Ayurveda is not just food. It's also the things that we do. It's also our lifestyle. It's also the choices that we make. And yes. <laughs> yeah, and somebody talked about doshas also. So I would love if you could dive a little deeper into what are doshas and how can one identify uh, and how does it really help us to understand our choices? So as you know, in Ayurveda, we look at two things mainly when it comes to the doshas we look at who we are as a unique individual so prakriti although i'm sure you might be able to correct me on my pronunciation <laughs> um and then we can look at the balance that we are in right now vikriti and these things are based on the, that we're nature so the actual word for nature is also prakriti so the same word that describes who you are as an individual describes mother nature and the founding blocks of this are the five elements so we have earth water fire air or wind and ether or space and those elements form the three energies of vata pitta and kapha so vata is made up of earth and wind energy pitta is made up of fire with some water and then kapha is made up of earth and water. So all of us have all three of these within us. But at the moment of conception, we were given a unique combination of these three. And that's based on past karmas, on family lineage, on what was happening with our parents' mental and physical state at the moment. All of that forms together to create our soul's blueprint. When we're living in alignment with who we are, then we can just focus on seasonal shifts. You know, if your body and mind and, and are in tune, then yeah, we just focus on those seasons. However, when things are out of balance, which means the way that we're living right now doesn't match up with who we really are for different reasons, and we can dive into like what that looks like, then Ayurveda would have us focusing on the imbalance first rather than spending all of our energy on that blueprint. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I love that so much and I'm sure a lot of people will be able to kind of like understand more about it. So if someone wants to learn more about Ayurveda, what's like, what are like the top three ways you would suggest them to start the journey? Well, I do have a modern day dosha quiz over at simpleayurveda.com. It's totally free. And 
because one of the reasons I was so confused about Ayurveda in the beginning is that when you evaluate yourself, it can be, I think, very hard to be neutral um, and look at ourselves um, without judgment to decide whether our features or the characteristics about ourselves fit into vata, pitta, or kapha. So for example, um, you know, the questionnaires will say something like about the shape of the eyes or the shape of the nails. And I feel like it's really hard to self-evaluate those things. So I put together a quiz that's super easy and modern and fun. And it just has questions about like, how thick is your hair? Do you get obsessive over your exes? <laughs> things like that, <laughs> that sort of uh, point to your tendencies. Mm. And then, um, once you get the quiz, I send out one more email, which is a video lesson that walks you through each of the doshas with fun celebrity pictures and just clues to look for in yourself and perhaps your loved ones as well on how to tell uh, which doshic tendencies are more prominent. So I feel like that's a nice, easy way to start. Um, and then, like I said, the self-awareness, keeping a wellness journal is really nice to just sort of write down the foods that you're eating and how you feel and what your energy is like because knowing that vata is air and wind that is the energy of creativity and inspiration and being like a free thinker and not being tied down to any old ideas or old ways and those are beautiful gifts and then when vata is out of balance it is scattered energy that's just sort of all over the place and doesn't have focus so that's just something to start to notice, you know, where your balance is within yourself. And then Pitta energy is fiery. So it's leadership, it's organization, it's calling people to action, it's holding people accountable. <laughs> it's all of that discipline. And when that's out of balance, that shows up as anger or judgment or getting irritated easily. And of course, each one of these has physical manifestations in the body. And then kapha energy is earth and water. So it's so loving and soothing and stable and nourishing and supportive. Um, and when that's out of balance, it's stagnant energy that's just like sludge and very slow moving. So those are ways that we could start to tap in to notice our own energies and just keeping in mind that like attracts like and opposites create balance. And so with each one of those, if the energy is scattered all over the place, then vata is probably high. And the opposite thing would be to ground and center. And so this is where, you know, I'm not downplaying the vast and intricate system that Ayurveda is, <laughs> you know, especially like what practitioners and doctors have to offer. But at the heart is understanding that when there's scattered energy, we're grounding and centering. And so, yes, a guide or a doctor can give you specific herbs and tools that will do that, but then you can also do that for yourself, just knowing what are the things that create grounding for you. Like for me, it's having boundaries around technology <laughs> because tech is a huge vata aggravator because it's kind of like the land of no return. You can just go out into the world of ideas <laughs> and let the energy flow. Yeah, I, I love how you are really diving into Ayurveda, into more than the diet, more than food but also as who we are, as what our nature is, and so not just the nature of our bodies, but the nature of our minds and our hearts as well. 
So uh, do you think, again, I think it's so popular right now, do you think is uh, the new archetypes, uh, these doshas are the new archetypes out there right now? <laughs> yes, I do. I, you know, it's funny because I feel like part of it is that it helps us to learn about ourselves. Um, like, for example, I was really confused about which dosha I was because I could sort of see all of these in me in some way. But then when I read this amazing book by one of my favorite Ayurveda teachers in the West, he brought it to my attention that I'm so clearly Pitta. And now it's funny that I didn't see it before. So when we understand our dosha, our, our archetype, it, I believe it's really helpful to notice the patterns <laughs> where we can go so strongly in one direction. But then I think it's so, so important in all aspects of healing and whatever modality you're doing that we can laugh at ourselves <laughs> because <laughs> I have to laugh when some of my pitta tendencies come up, like how I was saying how pittas are very fiery and want to be the boss. And then I'm also obsessed with tacos, which, you know, <laughs> like spicy sauce. So um, like attracts like, like I think like I'm a cop. <laughs> so um, of course, like I love the comfort, gooey food, which is not the best choice for me most of the times. But yeah, uh, I am attracted to comfort food. I, I, uh, the tendency is like that. So, but the doshas, so doshas in Hindi, it means uh, the negative, the problem areas. So, so, so you mean to say like kapha, pitta and vatas are like the, are our main problems. So for someone who's a pitta, uh, they have more heat in their system, right? Like that's their issue. So do yes. you manifest as like more acidity sometimes? I mean, I'm just thinking in a very logical way. And you know, I, <laughs> more cough or the more mucus in their bodies. Like, is that how it's manifesting in their physical bodies? Yes. So you hit so many points. Uh, you know, what's really interesting is how it means like the negative, but I feel like that is because at the heart of it, we have a medical system that's looking for how can we heal the root cause. But I believe that in Vedic philosophy, how it's seen that everything is divine. I feel like, yes, there's definitely negative sides to our doshas, but it can be really easy, especially in the modern world, to get obsessed with that negativity. And so I also like to just look at the positive life-affirming aspects. now. That's a whole nother conversation because the doshas have a positive side to them, the prana, tejas, and ojas. But on the surface level, as we're learning about the doshas, just like with me... the difference in language for the lack of a better word, I think. <laughs> because yeah. uh, it's too difficult. Uh, it, it, it's not so easy to translate uh, two languages together. So uh, I think what you mean by is like, I, I think of course doshas uh, on the surface level might mean like, oh, negative, but it's not like uh -huh. negative, negative in a bad way. So as to say, it's just like, I think understanding and knowing that light and shadow, both are aspects of it. So we have the gun, I think guna, what you said, which is the uh -huh. positive and then doshas are like in that way, retrospect. But of course, yeah, that's another conversation in itself. 
<laughs> but I think let's that, talk yeah. about physical manifestation of how these come these come up. So with Vata, just knowing that it's those energies of air and ether, mm. it's associated with the qualities of dryness and rough and mobility. So in someone that has a lot of Vata in their constitution, they're mm. um, they're naturally going to just be drier. So what does that look like? That looks like a tendency perhaps toward more brittle bones, like easier to have a break or you know a fracture in the bone because things are just sort of drier drier hair drier skin um, the mobility can show up as like not wanting to sit still so for example ADHD is super common now mm -hmm. <laughs> in the modern world and that's vata dosha being exasperated mm -hmm. and then um, anxiety because that's the mind being all over the place the mind creating problems that aren't even happening <laughs> um and that so that's that ether that empty possibility like there is no end to what's possible but when it goes into the negative aspect of that to create anxiety so those are some of the ways that oh and vata is also circulation in our body so cold hands and cold feet lack of circulation um random pains that don't really seem to make sense that all has to do with excessive vata so uh, is it possible like we have a different dosha in our minds and a different dosha in our bodies? Like can I be like a kapha body and a vata mind? Because the things that you're telling me, it feels like I do that. But physically, I have more like kapha tendencies. You know, there's different opinions on this because <laughs> I have asked like every Ayurvedic doctor and expert that I know and I get different answers. So some people believe that you can have different mind and body. I don't actually believe that myself. Yeah, I think I've never heard who you are is who you are. Yeah. I've only <laughs> I heard about this concept from the West, I'll be honest. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's a twisted <laughs> um, understanding. So mm -hmm. I believe that who you are is who you are, uh, but that the imbalance that you are experiencing now can show up in different parts of the body. So just because, um, for example, you could be a kapha dosha or a pitta dosha, but have vata imbalance and the vata imbalance can be manifesting more in the mind. And maybe it's manifesting in other parts of the body, or maybe it's sort of being directed. And my understanding is that we all have our unique um, areas of the body where imbalance will tend to gather. So for example, um, and this could be based on karma, this could be based on childhood wounds or different things or traumas happening in the body over and over again. But let's say as an adult, your vata is going up, up and up because you're very scattered. You're not sitting still. You're not doing your meditation practices or your grounding practices. You're eating a lot of cold, raw food that just keeps aggravating vata. And then all of a sudden you have a random pain in a certain area or a condition in a certain area. It's like the excess vata is kind of gathering in that area. And so what happens in Western medical system is it'll look at, I'll just give an example, like let's say you had some arthritis in your hands, <laughs> which could be caused by different doshic imbalances. But let's say in this case, it was vata. You know, a Western doctor might try to give you a pill for that. But 
Ayurveda practitioner or doctor would look at your lifestyle, like what are the things that are causing erratic energy within you? And how can we create more rhythm and stability so that that energy disperses and releases out of those areas where it's creating problems for you? Um, and so, yes, you might still take the pill momentarily to get rid of that pain that's unbearable in certain circumstances, depending on what the injury or imbalance is. But meanwhile, that pill is only going to get you so far if you don't work on those lifestyle and diet habits that created the imbalance to begin with. Because this is where that pain, like, let's take the example of the hands, will just move to the shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> or just move to some part of the body because you're still creating excess vata that's going to gather somewhere. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I think it makes so much sense because uh, that happens, <laughs> truly. Um, and uh, also, uh, do you think our doshas can shift over time or in different seasons? Or if, I'm, if I have identified, taken a quiz once in my life, then I'm going to stick to it all my life. Well, there's like so much to this. I believe that who you are is who you are. So that's that property part. However, your current state of balance is absolutely going to shift over time. So I have one teacher that says we should take a minimum of 10 dosha quizzes <laughs> to get the full picture because no piece of paper is going to give you your, your, um, the answer to who are you or who am I? <laughs> that, an that question is so much deeper. And um, you could talk with a practitioner, you could get your pulse taken. Like, I feel like it's a journey of even figuring out constitution. I mean, I work with clients and sometimes the current imbalances are so severe that to unpack and figure out who you are underneath it takes time. <laughs> so there there's two parts to that. You are who you are and you have this DNA blueprint that doesn't change, but what's happening now in your mind and body and where your doshas are now will change. And some of the factors that are going to influence that are what season, um, what's the weather like, you know, consistently, what phase of life are you in? So the doshas have phases of life, like childhood being kapha, puberty through menopause or andropause being pitta and then like 50s and beyond being the vata phase of life and so what does that look like it's if you're in that middle phase of life that's the pitta phase of life so you have a lot of drive for whatever you're building whether that's a home or a family or a job or a career or whatever um so you might have more pitta energy during that time of your life and then 50s and beyond there's this natural um slowing down that occurs, right, to balance the vata. And it's not good or bad, it just is. But that's going to factor into how you feel on any given day. Another thing is just the lifestyle factor. So let's say you're starting a new project. Well, that's a lot of pizza energy, right? That's like a lot of drive and organization and work energy. So therefore, it might be beneficial to start to pay attention to make sure that you have boundaries around work or to make sure that you're doing things for fun and laughter and joy. Because when Pitta gets up, that fire gets like really blazing. We forget that life is sweet and to slow down and to savor and, and the things like that don't make money or don't look like anything on paper are important. And that's really valuable for Pitta's to be reminded of, or if we're in the Pitta phase of life. 
yeah that's like so much of information but uh yes i think all of these things really make up who we are and we love how you keep on saying you are who you are you have a defined nature slash prakriti so uh yeah like to start with like if someone wants to now kind of like because i i don't think shift or lifestyle shifts happen in like one day so it's not like somebody uh-huh. <laughs> follow an diet someone wants to like start slow and steady so what are some of the foods probably that they can start replacing in their everyday life to bring in more of that ayurveda holistic energy some of your favorite ayurvedic practices rituals foods which have which are now a part of your lifestyle like how does your food looks like these days you know a huge part of ayurvedic eating is eating at a set time or relative set time and a rhythm. So for me, that looks like eating breakfast between 7 and 8 a.m., eating lunch around noon when Agni, our digestive fire, is strong. And then I eat dinner between 5 and 7 p.m. So if someone, especially entrepreneurs, <laughs> are, doesn't have like a rhythm to when you're eating, you're just eating at all different hours, by creating a consistent pattern or routine for when we eat is helpful for calming vata dosha and for supporting the digestive system. So I think that's a beautiful place to start if the person doesn't have that yet. (laughs) Um, Generally in Ayurveda, we eat, my understanding of it is that we eat a lighter breakfast, the heavier or biggest meal at noon, and then a lighter dinner. Um, And so that's another place. so when, offer, when I offer these suggestions, it's really going to depend so much on what the person is doing in this moment on what kind of shifts might be beneficial. And so, this is so opposite to what's like currently trending to what's I think even we've picked up from the West, having the big, huge breakfast, like the breakfast, like the king kind of this. And I know like we tend to believe like, that we are really, really, really supposed to have bigger meals uh, right when we wake up, right? Yeah, this is something that was a huge shift for me. And it, without even changing exactly, you know, the foods, but just kind of getting into this rhythm and noticing the natural rhythm of the day as how it applies to the human body. If we think about how we're a being of nature, to slowly wake up in the morning, like as the sun rises and to put a little bit of food in the system and then to start moving like around, you know, eight or nine or 10 AM in some way. And then in the middle of the day, we're actually hungry for lunch and we have that sun outside shining bright. So that sun is mirroring what is happening inside of our body and it's supporting our digestive system and our digestive fire to break down uh, the heavier foods. And then we have all afternoon to kind of use that energy that we just consumed. And I know before I personally was eating pretty big dinners and then to eat a big dinner and basically like sit around and relax and go to bed, that's heaviness. That's just sitting in the digestive system while I'm trying to sleep. And now after shifting this, when I do indulge in a heavy dinner, I can so feel it in my sleep and just waking up the next morning, I I feel the difference immediately. Yeah, that's like I, I, I 
I have been really, really trying so hard because like my parents keeps on telling me, <laughs> but of course, as I said, there are certain things that we have been adopting of late from the Western culture, uh, which is not that great and beneficial for us. But as I said, like it's becoming so common and so natural without really like, as I, and I think I just started this podcast by saying for some of us who have been forgetting the science of Ayurveda. And I think for where am I right now, people around me, people of my age in India, I think we really, really need to remember the essence of this ancient wisdom. And I'm so happy that you're actually talking about this and sharing all of this wisdom, uh, not just uh, in terms of food, but in terms of all areas of our life. So yeah, like continuing with, with what we just like talked about, uh, just wrapping this up here, uh, as I asked, can you suggest some kind of uh, more probably uh, foods or rituals that we can start adapting and start refining our lives into a more holistic Ayurvedic approach? Yeah. So I'll just give you like a list, I guess, of some of my favorite things. Um, first is to wake up and tongue scrape. If you don't have a tongue scraper, I, if you take away nothing from this podcast, grab a tongue scraper. <laughs> I can't um, even because in India, I think we have seen our parents, our grandparents doing that. And I think I don't do that. My, none of my friends do that. It just feels like who does that kind of a thing? <laughs> all of these videos, often I'm like, all right, this is trending in the West right now. <laughs> okay, yeah. So this is your invitation from America to get a tongue scraper. <laughs> um, so I highly recommend scraping the tongue and brushing the teeth and then sitting down and doing some sort of centering practice. I'm not going to say what it has to be, you know, because you can think about like what is centering to you. So right now for me personally, it's a short breath work practice followed by a short meditation. And then by then my kids are usually up. If I have more time, I like doing yoga and journaling, but the idea is not to check our phones first thing to, you know, make connections to ourselves, make connection to the divine before we start giving our way our energy to the outside world. Um, so that's a huge part. I feel like that we constantly need support because the outside world is screaming for our attention. And if we're using the phone for the alarm clock and things like that, it's very tempting to look at it before we check in with ourselves and check in with something higher. Um, and then from there to drink warm water in the morning is really nice to have a lighter breakfast, some possible breakfast choices. This will of course depend on your own personal appetite and your imbalance and all of that. But um, I love eating basmati rice for breakfast. That's one of my favorites. It's simple. It has the, it's sattvic. It has the sweet taste. It's easy. I like to put salt and ginger on it. Sometimes I like to do basmati rice with all the spices. So cinnamon and turmeric and clove powder and fresh ginger. I mean, I have that like three days a week. I love it. <laughs> um, some other options, if you're a kapha type and you have a lighter appetite, you could do cooked fruit. So like stewed apples, or whatever's seasonal at the moment. If you're a kapha type and you digest well enough, you could do fruits, like just regular raw fruit. 
especially for vatas or vata imbalance, having something warm in the morning is really nice to ground and nourish. So all of the different grains, like oatmeal is another one of my favorite breakfasts that's very easy and my kids like it as long as I let them have lots of maple syrup or honey. <laughs> um, uh, you could explore other grains like quinoa or millet. Um, it, when I do make smoothies, I now use hot water or hot tea in them. So I will blend up, I'll uh, put the frozen fruit from my freezer, like for example, like frozen strawberries or whatever I have. But instead of putting cold liquid, I will put hot liquid in the blender fr from my tea kettle. That way when the whole thing's done, it's like a room temperature smoothie. So I'd love to do that. Some of my favorite more Ayurveda friendly smoothies are sweet potato smoothies. So just to bake an extra sweet potato the day before and put the flesh in the blender with almond milk and almond extract is really yummy. And then all the spices and the warm water to warm it up. Um, so yeah, those are some of my favorite breakfasts that are grounding and nourishing, but not super heavy. Um, then for lunch, I usually eat a rice bowl of some sort or whole grain bowl. Uh, a very easy thing to play with or start to work with is creating a balance bowl. So to make a grain, a whole grain of some sort, I eat a lot of basmati rice just because it's simple and easy and versatile, but of course you could play with which grains. And then a bean or legume, uh, chickpea and smaller are easier to digest. So depending what you have available, some of my favorites are split mung, adzuki beans, lentils, black beans. Um, of course, soak them overnight in water and then drain and cook in fresh water so that they're easier to digest. And then I like this method of choosing one grounding vegetable. So something that's like more nourishing and a root, comes from the earth, like parsnips, celery root, sweet potato, carrots, uh, squash. So veggie like that, especially if you're a vata or pitta type, and then some sort of green or cruciferous. So a leafy green like chard, kale, spinach, and, or something like broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, bok choy. So this method of choosing a rice, a bean, and the two vegetables, one more grounding and one more detoxifying, kind of ensures the sixth taste in your meal without having to think about it. <laughs> and then it also offers a really simple way to play with different flavors. Like for example, you could have black beans and rice with avocado being your grounding veggie and red cabbage slaw as your detoxifying veggie. And then that's like a taco bowl. So I do that a lot. We probably eat that at least once a week for dinner. And then for dinner, you can use that same balance bowl template. Or if you're not that hungry, then you know you could have something lighter like a soup or a stew. Or, um, and then if you are gonna consume meat or cheese, you could kind of just sub out the beans and use that as your protein. You know, it's like a loose template. <laughs> mm. I, I think this is a perfect invitation to me. And I think all my Indian listeners, to honor our uh, home-cooked food uh, foods because as you were speaking I, like my mind was really really going through all the Indian recipes I have grown up with and which are a part of our lifestyle uh, of course they're called by different names uh, but things which we're really not happy about because for us it just 
it has just felt so oh boring <laughs> but i but i understand as i'm like going to into my late 20s that yes uh all of the like it's high time we really bring back our ancient roots our ancient wisdom and really see the glorious benefits it offers like uh especially for all the indian listeners out there like we're really living in the land where all of it is available it's all all a part of a lifestyle and for everyone else who is listening from other parts of the world i think whatever angela just listed out it was so beautiful and i think based on wherever you are present geographically i think as i said as she was naming all these vegetables and legumes and all these things i was translating into the into my local recipes which already exist so say for example if you're in mexico or for example if you're a spanish or wherever you're out in the world or probably you're from korea or japan uh you can see how can that recipe fit in with what just angela gave in so we don't have to stick to just this one type of food but we can really see how our own local recipes can i think uh inculcate this structure right yeah you know it's funny because i was thinking and we can always return back to our grandmother's recipes and even if you're not from india you know i'm thinking about like my yaya who was making greek food would make lentil soup which is totally ayurvedic <laughs> and like um i'm thinking about some of the places i've traveled yeah and so like one delicious version of this bowl that i like to make is um a moroccan version where i use chickpeas and put all the moroccan spices together in a unique way and add raisins in there you know using the carrots with the cinnamon uh to make a savory sort of sweet dish and how we have so much power to be creative with the spices or the condiments or as i think you would call it the chutneys <laughs> or as we would call it the pestos or the salad dressing that we put on it <laughs> so there's an invitation if you feel the urge to be creative you know there's possibility there but in a very nourishing way absolutely like because now we are exposed to all the global foods and now i know what's like to have a burrito or to have a chipotle or a bowl or how to have these different foods like say even like you know how italians have pizza and i'm always like whenever i have food at my place the indian food i'm always like it's so amazing how we all are having like kind of the same <laughs> combinations especially the ancient ethnic foods in all parts of the world but just like in different versions so how a burrito roll looks like the uh in hindi it's called roti i don't know what is it called uh, like the mm-hmm. the roll the wrap yeah. the wrap the wrap sorry the wrap and the rice in it and so the wrap is our rotis and rice is our staple diet and so you've got the grains there you've got the veggies inside you've got these sauces slash chutneys inside and like so yeah i love how we have so much of variety available in every different possible way and still get to apply uh the principles of ayurveda like i really feel i think a lot of people feel intimidated by it uh even indians for that matter because we feel like oh i have to shift my entire diet around it but i think what just angela just shared she being from america <laughs> and i like i don't think you ever listed out even one of the dishes which were 
quintessential Indian dishes, but they still had that essence of Ayurveda. So I think that's so amazing, like beautiful. You don't have to be intimidated by it. You can still be included in your lifestyle in your own way, right? Right. I mean, there's infinite things to learn. And of course, you can learn Ayurvedic cooking from an Indian grandma. I mean, that'd be a dream. <laughs> but if, if you don't have that resource, it doesn't mean that... <laughs> After this, honestly... Yeah, I mean, if you don't have that resource, then it doesn't mean that you can't do something for your health today and just choose something that would be really nourishing. And, you know, there's so much, um, there's so much availability for us to tap into our intuition, right? Once we understand these principles, like the basic idea that if your digestion is not functioning well, that it might be happier if we cook the food rather than eat raw. And if you know, we didn't even talk about this, but if you're very distracted when you're eating, then your body doesn't have the proper, like the energy is being dispersed. You know, if we're on our computers and eating at the same time, half the energy is going to reading or watching whatever we're doing and half the energy is going to the digestive tract. When we shut the computer and just eat with awareness, then all of the energy is supporting the digestive tract. And therefore we're giving our body like a leg up, like a much better chance of digesting the food. And so it's like these simple, simple things can make huge impact. And when we understand that, you know, I don't even hardly use recipes. I just put the ghee in the pan, put whatever spices look good, <laughs> add the veggies and it always turns out good. <laughs> yeah. For that matter, even I cook super intuitively uh, and like, yeah, whatever feels good, whatever calls to you. Uh, I think your body knows, your soul knows. <laughs> and, and I've always noticed, I think, how on some days when I feel like having something, of course, depending if I'm feeling balanced, then that is probably what my body needs. And I, do, I think you started the podcast by saying, really developing that self-awareness, right? Yes. Oh, this was so good, Angela. I think uh, my dinner tonight, I'm going to have it with such an open heart <laughs> uh, with, because uh, just having this conversation kind of like really seeped into and reminded me again the relevance of what is and, and how food is not just something I think we tend to just pass by, but it is a part of what we put out in the world as well. Like it's going inside us and uh, we're creating that energy outside. So it's really worth diving deep into it. It's really worth studying about it, uh, becoming aware about it and making the shifts if we need to. Yes, like I said at the beginning, I started eating this way and paying attention to Ayurveda and, and really making it a part of my life because I was suffering from digestive issues. But... <laughs> you know, once I started making these shifts, I just felt so much more energy, so much like more contentment and ease and just able to handle life better. Like this morning, I just woke up at five o'clock in the morning and I was rolled out of the bed and was doing meditation and yoga. Like I couldn't imagine that a few years ago. That would not happen without an alarm clock or anything just to like wake up with and have that energy and that desire to do these practices without effort. And I'm not saying that everyone's going to have that right away. That's like after a long time of, you know, implementing these things, but it's possible. And it's, it's amazing how much making these little small shifts, one tiny change at a time so that it's sustainable and not overwhelming 
like creates infinite amount of expansion and growth. Mm, definitely. Thank you so much, Angela. This was such a thought-provoking, mind-opening, and nourishing conversation. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom. I so appreciate that. And I'm sure everyone listening to this too would. So thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, that was such a power-packed conversation. I hope you were making notes. If you like this podcast, share your review. For more spiritual inspiration and mindset tips, follow the handle at Dream Life Lounge on Instagram. All the links about Angela and me are down in the description in the show notes. And as always, I'm sending you so much love on your personal growth journey and hoping to connect with you soon in my next podcast with another activating guest.